of those Bibles, Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. And I'd like to thank Seth and, and the crew, Joel and, and uh, Melissa and John, for leading us in worship. Uh, John is absolutely right. The reason we want to, uh, to sprinkle these kind of response services in is because uh, worship is really a response to who God is. So this is why we, we do this. We, we respond to the revelation of God, and we receive his revelation through his word. And so uh, it's great to have Seth leading us. Seth's going to sprinkle in some, some time to, to assist Micah anyway, but uh, there is a special reason that Seth is leading this Sunday, and uh, that is because Micah and Carrie had their baby yesterday. All right, so this is a great time for them, and uh, so we can rejoice with them. His name is Chasen Thomas Lee, all right? So Chasen Thomas is here, and uh, we can rejoice together with the Lees over his arrival. And uh, if you've noticed around Redemption Hill lately, uh, we've really seen that RHC has become like baby central these days, all right? So, um, so we, you know, have, uh, have uh, Jackson and Malachi and Benton and uh, Adriano, these, these little guys that are filling up the nursery along with a few others. Uh, now the, the Lees uh, have had Mr. Chasen. Uh, the local Utus just had their baby a couple of weeks ago. We have uh, Miss Brogy who is uh, pregnant. We have Miss Snyder, who is pregnant. We have Miss Turley, uh, who is pregnant. And um, did you guys catch that? So that's maybe news for some of you. My wife is also pregnant, so we're very excited of our home uh, to be welcoming another baby, baby number three. And uh, just to be transparent, we're praying for a boy, all right? So I'm, I'm praying for a boy this time. Just fill me on that, all right? It's already been decided by the Lord, but, you know, we'll see what he does. So, um, so this, is a, this is an exciting time. And I think we would all agree, we, we all love babies, right? I mean, if, if you don't love babies, chances are probably people don't really love you, okay? So just um, grow to be like Jesus and, and love babies, all right? And, and we love babies because babies are so sweet. They're so cute. You can hold them in your arms, and they just stare up at you and blink their eyes and and even when, I mean, we really know newborns, really, what are they doing? They're, they're crying, they're eating, they're burping, they're, they're pooping, they're peeing, right? But we still, we still love them anyway, you know? It's just, they're just so sweet and precious. And, and you can place a baby into the arms of the most gruff, stern man, and to some degree, that man will begin to, to melt a bit because there is something just so beautiful and, and God uh, graced about the life of a little baby. Well, this morning, we are going to look at the story of a couple of babies, a couple of sons who were born. And as we think about a little life, I think we would all agree that what is most important about that life is not necessarily how they come into the world, but ultimately the path that they follow and how that life ends, all right? And so, so what we're going to find here in Galatians 4 is the story of two sons, and they have very distinct origins, how they came into the world, but they also have very distinct destinations. So we're going to look back into Old Testament history, to the book of Genesis, and we're going to find the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and the sons that were born to these two women, Ishmael and Isaac. Now, most people would agree that this passage in Galatians is probably the most difficult in the book, all right? But I think we can also say it, it contains one of the most uh, beautiful truths about God and about how we can relate to God, and that is it tells us of the freedom of the gospel. So people have said that the book of Galatians is, is the Magna Carta of Christian freedom, okay? Well, this is why Luther loved this book. It, it tells us about how we can be free in life and free through Christ. And so as we dive in this morning, the, the encouragement I want to give us today is to walk in the freedom of the gospel as a gracious gift from God. Walk in the freedom of the gospel as a gracious gift from God. The first truth we, we're going we're gonna to look at in these verses is, is this, that all those who are born of the Spirit are sons of freedom, okay? 
All, all who are born of the Spirit are sons of freedom. I'm going to read just about this entire passage for us as we work our way through, starting in verse 21 all the way down through the first part of verse 1 of chapter 5. Here we go. Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. All right, we're going to talk about the freedom of the gospel today. I hope you caught in the very first verse. Paul is, remember, he's, he's dealing with these false teachers, these people who are known as Judaizers, and they were pro, uh, proclaiming that it was by obedience to the law that someone was accepted by God, acceptable in his sight. And so Paul continues this argument, just as we've seen all throughout Galatians, to say, look, if you who want to place yourself under the law, a, a type of works righteousness by which you will achieve God's approval, then if, if you're under the law, do you not even listen to what the law says? I mean, the, the clarity of the law's standard and how fall, far we fall short of that standard should have been maxed out in the volume of their headphones, if you will, okay? But it's like, it's like a bad connection, okay? You know, when you put your, your headphones into your, your phone, your computer, your, your old, you know, uh, little, what are those things called? Walkman, you know what I'm saying? Anybody got a Walkman these days? You know, you put it in there and, 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 and nothing comes through, right? Because there's a bad connection. And this is what it must have been like for these Judaizers. They, they heard the law, they placed themselves under the law, but they weren't really hearing the truth of the law that tells us we never can measure up. We can never keep the law. And so what Paul does is he brings in his favorite example, one which the Judaizers would have bought into because they love to boast and claim that they were the children of Abraham. So, so Paul, speaking to them in a, in a language they can understand, brings in Abraham and says, hey, let's talk about Abraham and the story of his life. So this backdrop of the story can be found in Genesis 12 through 22. If you want to do some extra study this week, just go back, read Genesis 12 through 22, and you will catch much of the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac. Now let me just sum it up for you and give you a quick sketch. You see, uh, we've talked about how God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah. There was going to be this son of, of, of the covenant, a son of promise, through whom all of, of Abraham's descendants would, would, would be more than the stars in the sky. And, in, and, and eventually there would be there would one that would come through these descendants through whom God would bless the whole world, all of the nations, all of the peoples of the world. And so Abraham and Sarah believed this, and so they tried to have a son. And they continued to try to have a son. 
And they became weary trying to have a son. You see, Sarah's womb was barren. They were getting older. There was, there was no son of, of the promise. And so what were they to do? This is where Hagar enters the picture. Hagar was Sarah's servant. She was a slave woman. She served their family. And so Abraham and, and Sarah take matters into their own hands. And they say, you know what? Maybe since we are expecting this, this son through whom God will fulfill his promises, then, then perhaps Hagar can have a son for you, Abraham. And this is exactly what happens. Abraham and Hagar have a son. His name was Ishmael. Now, at this point, if I'm God, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to say, hey, man, Abraham, look, you blew it. You took matters into your own hands. There's your son. Good luck with that. But God abounds in grace. And so he says to Sarah and Abraham, in spite of how they went against his will, he says, you will still bear a son through whom I will fulfill the promise. And to this statement, Abraham and Sarah both laugh. They're thinking, hey, we're almost 100 years old. This isn't going to happen. And yet God is faithful. And they, by faith, accept this promise from God. And God touches Sarah's womb. And she bears Abraham a son named Isaac. Isaac is the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. And so then Paul, in verse 24, says this story of Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac, it's representative of what is taking place, what we see being played out in your situation in Galatia. And so that's why he says in verse 24, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are to Covenants. Now, what, what does Paul mean here when he says that, that this may be interpreted allegorically? Well, he's, he's saying that the major threads of this story represent something more than their literal or immediate fulfillment, okay? Now, we have to be very careful here because this is not how we should typically interpret the Bible, okay? You're going to hear some Bible teachers, perhaps you grew up in a church where a lot of pastors kind of want to allegorize or spiritualize the whole Bible. All right? So the story of David and Goliath is really about how God can slay the giants in your life. You ever heard a sermon like this? Or, or Jesus calming the storm is really not so much about how that he is the son of God, but that, you know, God can calm any storm in your life. And I mean, that's certainly true. God can calm any storm, but that's not why Mark picked up his pen and wrote the gospel of Mark chapter 4 there to tell us about Jesus, all right? That's an implication, but it's not the meaning of the text. And so we want to be careful here, but thankfully, when the Bible tells us, hey, this is, we can understand this allegorically, then we're on safe ground to say, okay, let's take this allegorically. You understand? Otherwise, we want to, we want to apply sound interpretive principles to the word, to understand it in its historical context, and then see how it is traced out through redemptive history. So this language here in the text helps us understand he's, he's seeing correspondence, okay, a relationship between what happened then and what was happening in his day. And I would say then now we continue to see it played out as people respond to God, either as a son of Hagar or a son of Sarah. Now, what are the major storylines? Here we go. The key phrase is that these women are two covenants. They represent two covenants. Hagar and Ishmael represent the Judaizers, whereas Sarah and Isaac represent the Galatian Christians. And, and, and we see several different uh, distinctions here, okay? How do they differ? Number one, they differ in their source, their arrival of their birth. It says that Hagar had Ishmael according to the flesh. And we, we said this, right? Abraham, who is described as the man of faith, slipped into distrust took matters into his own hands, and through self-reliance, they had a son, not according to God's intention. Rather than relying on the power of God to deliver a son through his promise, Abraham relied on his own plan. And so this is why Paul says, Ishmael was a son according to the flesh. But Isaac is a son of promise. He's a son who was 
born according to the Spirit. It was a supernatural birth. 90-year-old women do not have kids every day, right? So, I mean, this is, this is a fulfillment of God's promise. They were different in, in, the, in their origin, their source of their birth, but they were also different in the consequences that their births led to. You see, Hagar was a slave, and so her son was a son, a son of a slave. This was the lot that he entered into in life, whereas Sarah, being a free woman, Isaac is born into freedom. But then beyond that, It's not only how they came and and the results in their life, but it's ultimately the destination of their life. What Paul is going to say is that that Hagar is is like Mount Sinai, the law, where God gives the law to Moses. And she represents what it's like to try to live under the law, that you are really just enslaving yourself to your sin because you can never keep the law perfectly. We're going to talk more about what that looks like practically in our lives, how we're slaves to sin apart from God's grace. But so, so uh, the, the destination then for Ishmael is, is corresponds to the present Jerusalem. This was as good as it gets for Ishmael, this earthly city, but not with Isaac. You see, Isaac is born of the Jerusalem above, the heavenly city, the people of God, where God dwells. And so those who are, who are born of the promise, who are free, are citizens of a better city, the city that is to come, Hebrews 13, 14. And so we can see these radical distinctions between Hagar, who is representing these false teachers, these legalistic law keepers, versus Isaac and and Sarah, those who were born according to the promise. Now, here's the deep irony that we need to understand, okay? The Judaizers, these false teachers, they loved to boast about how they were the children of Abraham. They were very proud of their ethnic uh, descent. And so they would boast about, hey, we belong to Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. John the Baptist spoke to this in Matthew 3, verses 7 through 9. Read this with me. It says, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So so essentially what John the Baptist is, is saying and what Paul is trying to say to these people is don't trust in your physical descent. Don't overestimate the value of your ethnicity and assume that just because you physically belong to the apparent people of God, that you are really in with the people of God. The Judaizers, the Pharisees, who are like their early cousins, the sons of Hagar, they presume that just because they have the appearance of godliness, this form of godliness, that there is substance there, that there's the real thing. So what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3 when it says that in the last days people will have the appearance of godliness, but they will be void of its power. And so let me ask you today, I mean, is, is Christianity just kind of about the outer trappings, the kind of coming into church and saying a few prayers and, hey, you know, my grandmother is a, is, is a devoted follower of Christ and, you know, I try not to, you know, smoke pot and get drunk and all this and swear and so I try to live this moral life so I must be in with God. And at the end of the day, what it is is just a show. It's just a show. We do this with worship sometimes. We come in, and it's like coming in on Sunday morning, okay? If the shoe fits, weird, okay? I've been there before, all right? We come in, and it's like this spiritual cameo, you know what I'm saying? Get our name tag. Feeling good, we got our Bible, you know what I'm saying? We know when, like, when pray, we're going to pray. When we sing, we're going to sing. Sermon, we're going to listen. And we look like we have it all together, but there's nothing there in our heart. 
God is after our hearts. He wants all of us. He doesn't want the form, just the external appearance of of goodness or righteousness if he doesn't have all of us. Octavius Winslow says the religion of the Lord Jesus is valuable only as its power is experienced in the heart. God wants your heart. He wants to have all of you, and he wants you to know the power that exists for you to live the life that he intends for you to live. So we have to understand that there are two paths that are set before us. One is the path of slavery. It's based on works of righteousness, and all the sons of Hagar travel it. But there is another path. It's the path of freedom, and it's based on grace. It's based on the work, not of ourselves, but of Christ. And the sons of Isaac travel it. And so Paul wants the reader to ask the question, are you a son of of Hagar, or are you a son of Sarah? Are you an Ishmael, are you an Isaac? Does God have your heart Have you given your life fully to God? Not just the external trappings of of religion, of Christianity. Is there power there? You see, Paul is is like a spiritual father, okay? He He is trying to encourage these Galatians to say, look, he says, you are children of promise. Know that because Christ is in you, you've been crucified with Christ, you no, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. You are children of the promise. You are free. And so that brings us to our second point, which, which is basically to sum up, it says, you're free, so live like you're free. Stand firm by living in the freedom of Christ, all right? We'll look back at verse one of chapter five, and, and I pray that you'll just really get this and, and let it soak into your heart today and as we travel from this place. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we are Americans, right? We, we get that this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And on, on top of that, we're New Englanders, okay? So this is the cradle of freedom. The revolution had its beginnings here in, in Boston and the Northeast. So New Hampshire, just the state north of us, their state mottos is one of the cries of the revolution, right? Live free or die. Yeah, so we have some New Hampshire folks up in here, right? You love that. A little shout out to New Hampshire, okay? So, so live free or die. I mean, this is the, the, the cry of freedom fighters. And so Paul's gonna say, you know what? I feel that more deeply than you do. In fact, he's gonna say, it's because of Christ's death that you can live free. So die with him and live free. That would be the gospel application. It'll die and live free. Die to yourself, die to your old way of life, die to your sin, and live free. And so for Paul, he's saying, look, if you are in Christ, then you have experienced this. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So when we think about freedom as Americans, we have to fight to maintain our freedom. And Veterans Day was Monday. We should thank God for the men and women who risk and even give their lives for our freedom in this country. But the gospel is, is not that. You see, we don't, we don't fight to maintain our freedom in the gospel. Christ has fought for us and has given us the gift of freedom. Freedom is not achieved in Christianity. Freedom is received. You got that? So freedom is one of the the most vivid metaphors for salvation in the scriptures. The Hebrew word for salvation is, is, is Yasha, all right? You know, Jesus' name was Yeshua, God saves. Christ is the Savior. So Yasha referred to being placed into wide open spaces. 
And this is what freedom is like. It's, it's like being set free to, to be able to run into wide open spaces where you're unbound, you're not restrained, you're not restricted, you're not imprisoned by anything that would hold you back. You are unleashed to live in the freeness and the fullness of God. So what, is, what does the culture say about freedom? What is the prevailing uh, view of freedom in the culture? It is basically this. It's to cast off anything that restricts us so that we can do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? I mean, so this is, this is why part of the American dream is, is sometimes to, to work your way up where you have more people under you and less people over you, and maybe you can even, you know, have your own business, be, be self-employed, you know, call your own shots. But at the end of the day, typically what happens is you're just placing yourself under another set of demands, another set of restrictions that that, that job would have over you, right? But in the gospel, what we have is, is not a freedom from all restriction, but placing ourselves under God's wise care for us to live within the bounds of, of his uh, restrictions and guidelines for us. That's where freedom is found in Christianity. So before we meet God, don't miss this, before we meet God, we are bound to our sin. We are slaves to the, the, the law and slaves to our sin. We don't not only have a desire to please God and live for God with our lives, but we don't even have the ability to do so. This is what Jesus, I mean, this is, this is strong language that the Bible lays down about the person's heart apart from God's grace. And these aren't my words, these are Jesus' words. So in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, here you go again, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's the word of Christ, the word abiding in us, the truth that sets us free. And this freedom that Christ died to bring is amazingly comprehensive. All right, so most of the time we think of freedom, we think of being free from the consequences of our sin being separated from God, both in this life and the life to come, not having fellowship with God in this life and being uh, sentenced to hell for all eternity. These are, these are serious ramifications of what the sin of, of slavery, uh, slavery to sin brings us. But it's so much more than just being set free from the consequences of sin. It's being set free from the, from the power of sin in, in every possible way imaginable. So in Christ, Christians have the freedom to overcome worry, anxiety, and fear. Christians have the power now, the resources, to overcome bitterness and resentment. We can be freed from our greed and our self-love. We can be freed now to love in a way like we have never loved before. So how is it that you need to be freed today? I mean, sometimes we're so crippled, right? We're so restricted and restrained by what others think about us. And so if we're not smart enough, successful enough, wealthy enough, then we feel less than in the sight of others. But the gospel frees us from all that because now our identity is in Christ and what he thinks us, of us is more important than what anyone else thinks about us. This is the freedom that Jesus gives to us. And so Paul's message here is enjoy the freedom that you already possess. What does he say? He says, don't, don't go back to your, your old patterns of, of slavery. Don't put a yoke, a burden on your back again, but stand firm and live free because Christ has set you free. Christ set us free for freedom. Now, 
What does this look like? How can we work out this freedom on a daily basis? All right, we're going to get a heavy dose of this in Galatians 5 and 6. All right, but I want to give you two implications of how we can pursue gospel freedom here this morning. All right, the first one is this. Gospel freedom leads us to pursue gospel growth. The goal of the Christian is to grow in grace and to be more like Christ. So as we receive the word of Christ and the word of Christ dwells in us, that truth will set us free to live the life that God always intended for us to live in the beginning. Now we are no longer slaves to our sin, but Paul would say in Romans 6, we're slaves to righteousness. And it's not just, okay, check this out, all right? It's not just, hey, now I can actually keep this set of rules and please God by the way I live my life, but it's I want to please God. I want to obey. So now we not only have the ability, but we also have the desire. I mean, if your Christianity, if it's, if it's only, hey, I am obligated to do this, this, and this, I would say you don't get it. You don't get it. It's, it's not just, hey, do this, duty. It's, it's the delight of knowing God, loving God, serving God, giving your life to him. So, so when Sunday morning is rolling around, the weekend's coming, it's like, man, you're thinking about worship. You can't wait to be here. It's not a chore, man. It's a joy. Read your word every day. Meditate on it. Man, it's like, man, I'm, I'm hungry, right? I, I can't wait just to soak this book up because this truth sets me free. It's not an obligation. It's not a, a checklist, man. It's like, when can I, can I wake up earlier to get in your word, God? Man, serving Thanksgiving meals, it's like, sign me up, man. I'm ready to roll because Christ has changed me. He showed me what it means to be a servant. He served us so that we can learn to serve others. And we can just keep chasing that with example after example. So if you are not living in the freedom of the gospel, serving only, obeying only out of obligation, then you aren't experiencing the fullness of the freedom of the gospel. God sets us free so that we can enjoy the freedom that he died to bring. So we'll talk more about that when we are, we're hidden in Galatians 5 and it's walked by the Spirit and do all these things, keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, we'll, we'll hit that more in the next couple of weeks. But, but not only do we want to, to, to pursue gospel growth, number two, gospel freedom also leads us to pursue gospel mission. I want to camp out here for just a bit, all right? I want you to think about this. The, the Judaizers, they were boasting in their own work. They were boasting in their flesh. They were boasting in, in what they could do to be acceptable to God. But now, for those of us who are sons of promise and have been born into the family of God, we boast in him. So if, if this freedom is, is this good, then surely we would want to share that with others. We should, we should be freedom distributors. Hey, my chains have been broken, and, and I have the key now that can unlock the chains of the people around me. They can move from being slaves to themselves, slaves to sin, to being slaves of righteousness and to follow God. And so how are we going to get there? That's the question. I mean, I, as, a, as a personal note, man, I want to grow in this area of, of, of sharing the gospel more freely because Christ has set me free. So let me give you three ways I think we can grow in this, all right? Number one, pray for a heart of anguish for those around you who need the gospel. Pray for a heart of anguish. Did you know that God desires for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? That's exactly what it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. God desires all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved saved. And so as we grow in grace, we're going to carry, okay, this healthy burden for those around us who do not yet, I like to say that, yet know Christ and the freedom he brings. But I have to constantly look in the mirror and say, man, how much do I want that? How much do I desire that? What is going on inside of me? Is there any inner turmoil that is pushing me to really care about those around me? Because when I read Paul in Romans 9, man, he just stops me in my tracks. 
Because this is what Paul says. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have, listen to this, great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why, Paul? Well, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Paul's saying, I, I could wish that I could renounce my freedom, give up my freedom, go back into slavery, give my sins back to God so that someone else could be free, forgiven, and be found in Christ. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So let me just say this. Whether, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, we all have people in our lives who need to hear the truth of Christ. To be set free, to live the life that God has always wanted us to live, to know him, to love him, to serve him. So I want you to think about this. Look at, look at this, uh, this diagram, okay? They're, they're, we all have re relational networks, okay? We have friends, we have family, we have coworkers, we have neighbors. And, and all of these different spheres in our life, there are people that need Jesus or need to be connected to a healthy church family so that they can grow in Christ. So I want to challenge you to begin thinking about people in your life. And, and as you zoom out, man, the potential is really, I mean, just, just look at what starts to happen. Multiple friends, multiple coworkers, multiple neighbors, multiple people perhaps in your family who need to hear the truth of the gospel, to see the truth of the gospel and come into the family of Christ. But, but what does the potential really begin to look like when you zoom out? All right, this is a truer representation of what probably your relational network looks like. Hundreds of people, okay, we have more than 100 dots up here, I believe, all right? All of these people represent, okay, your responsibility. God has placed each of us strategically, providentially, where we live, where we work, whose family we were born into, the friends that we have made, so that we can show them the gospel with our lives, display the gospel, but also tell them what it's all about, declare it to them. So what I love to think about is what happens, okay? What happens if we as a church, you multiply this by about 200 people, and we all start owning our relational networks with the gospel, what happens to our church? It's going to get crazy up in the club, you know what I'm saying? This club, right? Jesus, Jesus club, right? You, you feel me on that? I mean, it's like when God the Spirit gets a hold of our life, you like that, didn't you? I, I like it too. I, I thought about that this morning, you know? So when, when, we, when God grabs a hold of our life, Look out. The Spirit can do more than we think or imagine. And so let me ask you, who can you identify? I'm sure you're seeing these dots. I'm sure you're thinking about names, Jason, Amy. Just fill in the, fill in the blank. I don't know who, who it is in your life. But it's through the encouragement, the sincere encouragement of trusted friends that most of our friends will come to Christ. It's not going to be because they see an ad. It's not going to be because they're hopping online to, to check on the internet. Hey, I'm dying to go to church today. It's because we lovingly, humbly encourage them to check it out, to consider for themselves the truths, the claims of Christianity. So let me ask you today, how bad do you want your friends to come to Christ? How bad? What are you willing to do about it? What are, what are you willing to do about it? And, and this is not guilt, okay? This is me preaching to myself, okay? This is grace. If I really believe this, if I really feel this in my heart, 
that I'm not just going to think about it. I'm just going to pray about it. I'm going to do something about it. So we need to pray, number one, for a heart of anguish for those around us who need the gospel. And then number two, we need to seek a deeper belief in the truth of the gospel and its power to bring freedom, okay? Then you will know the truth, John 8, 32, and the truth will set you free. So so what I'm trying to do now is not only pray for a heart of anguish, but just to ask myself, how much do I really believe this? The truth sets people free. The truth that set me free can set my friend free. And so therefore, because I really believe that, I am going to speak the truth to them that they might be set free. A huge part of our problem, both in sanctification in terms of personal holiness, as well as sanctification sharing the gospel, is that we simply do not believe it deeply enough. We're very big on relational evangelism here, okay? Letting people see our lives. And and it's not to say that we don't need to confront people with the gospel and just share in a moment's notice. You meet a person on the bus, man, share. Maybe the last opportunity you have, there's a sense of urgency that we carry as we carry the gospel. But, But most times, more times than not, people are going to come to Christ through trusted friends, And so listen to what David Helm says about relational evangelism. He says, relational evangelism is not really evangelism at all until the word of God is introduced into that relationship. So Paul talks about being an aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing in 2 Corinthians 2. And and what I'm finding about myself is I can relationship the mess out of relational evangelism and I can network the, the mess out of evangelistic networking and I can never get to the gospel. And what happens when that's all it is? We're the aroma of moralism and not the aroma of Christ. Ed Stetzer with LifeWay Research surveyed 1,000 people, 900 Americans and 100 Canadians to be precise, a few years ago, and he he came came up with some surprising uh, data here. He he said that 89% of 20 to 29-year-olds and 75% of people over 30 are willing to listen if someone wanted to tell them their beliefs about Christ. I mean, now this doesn't say they're home yet, but it just says they're willing to listen. I would say that most of your friends, if you said, hey, you know what? I mean, you know I love you. You know I care about you. Would you just give me, just give me a few minutes to share what I believe about Jesus? And here, this, this statement that we say all the time, religion is about what we can do to earn our way to God. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I mean, you can just kind of run with that and unpack the gospel to anybody, no matter what their background is, religious or otherwise. But then to dig a little deeper, 61% of 20 to 29-year-olds and 42% of people over 30 said they're willing to study the Bible if a friend asked them. So perhaps our our problem is, is that we're not making ourselves available to people. We're not inviting them in so that they can actually hear the truth of Christ and be set free. So that is why, and this is probably where we need to hear the most, we must move out with boldness in telling others about Jesus. So so what is it that holds us back from sharing Okay, in a loving, humble way, okay, I'm not saying go up and start beating people over the head with the Bible and saying believe in Christ, okay, it's probably not how it's going to work. If it did, then we'd just go have some fun, right? I mean, it's not how it's going to work. We need to, to share, and so what holds us back is typically the fear of man, holding people up, esteeming them more than we should. As Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare. And so we care more about what that person thinks about us. And rather than exposing ourselves to potential, you know, a little conflict or a little, you know, pushback or a little shame or putting our reputation on the line, then we just keep our mouth shut. It's a lot more convenient that way, right? And so what we need then is boldness. 
We see this word over and over again in the New Testament. You read the book of Acts, they're praying for boldness. You read the letters of Paul. What does Paul request for more time? This is the apostle Paul here, the greatest missionary and theologian next to Jesus who probably ever walked the face of the earth. He is constantly asking people to pray for him for boldness. So what I need to do is send some text messages, guys, pray for, for boldness for me today, you know? I need to tell my community group, hey, would you pray for boldness that I will be willing to speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Let the Spirit of God do his work. It's not my job to say, by the way, it's God's job anyway. So we just share the gospel and watch the Spirit work. But what might boldness look like for you? I mean, for some people, boldness is just exposing the fact that you're a Christian. I mean, that might be step one in your workplace, just to, to have the courage and the boldness to say, yes, I follow Christ. Yes, I'm a part of that church. Yes, we went out and gave Thanksgiving meals because the gospel compels us to do things like this. Not just once a year, but consistently throughout the year. For others, then, beyond that, it's it's, it's stepping out in conversation, actually speaking the message of Christ, the, the words of Christ. God created us for himself. He made us for his glory. We haven't glorified God. We've all fallen short of his glory through our sin. That sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who became sin for us, became our curse that we might be set free and have life in him if we would place our faith and trust in him. That's the gospel. It doesn't take me 30 seconds when I'm talking really fast, you know what I'm saying? And, and, And then the third step of boldness is not just to speak the gospel, but then to call someone to respond to the gospel. So we can, we can say it and we can just kind of leave it as is, but what we really need to do is, is then to, again, humbly and lovingly say, hey, and, and you need to respond to this. Like, this is urgent here. And I really want to encourage you, persuade you to follow Christ with your life. So let me ask, how can you leverage your relationships and connect them to Christ and our church? You see your, your spheres of influence here, your friends, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, okay? We want to invite you to, to, to plead with you to pray for boldness and share Christ with these friends, but perhaps even the first step is just to invite them to something we have going on in the life of our church. So we have a Thanksgiving meal giveaway, November 23rd. Perhaps you want to sign up and you want to bring a friend along to, to serve with you. And in the process, you can explain why Christ has moved you to serve others because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're really big-time recipients of that service. Or perhaps it's, it's the Redemption Hill Christmas party. It's going to be on December 6th or 7th. We're trying to work out the details because we're a church plant. We don't have our own building, all right? But we're, we're going to have a party like we've done the last two years. And this is a very non-threatening place. Just say, hey, why don't you come have a good time? Okay, Tanner's not going to be preaching for 45 minutes. You know, we're just going to hang out, have a good time. And you're going to be introduced into, you know, Christian community. Then bring Sunday on December 8th. A great time as people are thinking about the holidays and, and Christmas and, and man, what, what's this Jesus story all about? Man, we, we don't, every Sunday is bring Sunday at Redemption Hill. We always want to be bringing our friends, but occasionally we highlight opportunities, strategic times where we say, hey, why don't you intentionally go out of your way to invite and bring a friend with you this particular Sunday? So that's December 8th. And then, you know, there are other opportunities. This is just one example, college launch on December 8th. For college students, not only to go to that lunch after the service, but to invite their friends in. Perhaps that's a, uh, something that would, would motivate them to join you. So to do this, we need to ask God for boldness. Listen to what Milton Vincent says about boldness. He says this, boldness is critical. Without boldness, my life story will be one of great deeds left undone, victories left unwon, Petitions left unprayed and timely words unsaid. If I wish to only live a pathetically small portion of the life God has prepared for me, then I need no boldness. But if I want my life to bloom full and to loom large for the glory of God, then I must have boldness. And nothing so nourishes boldness in me like the gospel. And so it is, it is our privilege, 
to not only be set free by the work of Christ on our behalf, but then to take this gospel and to live out the implications of it to the glory of God with our life, a life that is burning and shining for him, and to distribute this freedom to every person we possibly can. And so it's going to have to start I hope this is the way you hear this today. It's going to have to start with you. It's going to have to start with you. Will you ask God, would you plead with God to move you to own this vision for, which is, by the way, the the, the mission that Christ gave us before he ascended to the Father, to go and make disciples, to tell people about who he is and the life that we can have in him, a life that is full of abundance and eternal blessing. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would give us anguish for those around us in need of your gospel, that you would give us a deeper belief in the truth of your gospel, and that you would give us boldness to more readily share your gospel. Lord, we pray that you would give us a greater anguish for those around us who need your gospel, to give us a deeper belief in the truth of your gospel, and to give us boldness to more readily share your gospel. Lord, I pray that we would mean that from our hearts today. That you would work in us anguish and belief and boldness. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.